ridiculous. This profanity-laced rant sent veteran Cincinnati police officer Rose Valentino to desk duty. On April 5th, she was pulling into the District 3 station to fill out a report when she noticed vehicles lined on the street to pick up students from school. She activated her lights and quickly became angry when they didn't move. Is she going to just sit there? Bonnie and dash camera video just released by CPD shows what happened next. I hate him so much. God, I hate this world. After rolling up her cruiser's window, she uses the N-word. Valentino told investigators a black student gave her the finger, which led to her outburst. She was one of four officers profiled by WNWT and featured in a nationally televised reality show in 2011, Police Women of Cincinnati. Never a dull moment. You, you go into every situation as if it's the first time you know, you've dealt with that sort of thing. In Valentino's most recent performance review, dated after the rant, she was complimented as a hard worker who uses good judgment. A supervisor recommended she study for the promotion exam. In January 2019, this official reprimand says Valentino showed body cam footage from a homicide at the Glenway Pony Keg to family members while having dinner at the casino. In March 2020, she was arrested off-duty. Her sister and brother-in-law accused her of pushing and hitting them with a closed fist and using an umbrella to repeatedly strike a vehicle. She pled guilty to disorderly conduct, a misdemeanor, and was ordered to attend an anger management assessment. Two years later, she admitted she did not have control of her emotions here. Valentino told Internal Investigations, This is a hard job, and I was getting to a point where I was really being affected by it. I have been on for 14 years. Thanks for watching our Tributes are pouring in for NBA legend and trailblazer Bill Russell, a tower and sports icon credited with transforming the game of basketball. But tonight he is being remembered as an athlete and activist, not just the player, but the person. Standing six feet ten inches tall, it was his quickness, rebounding, and blocking ability that made Bill Russell a great on the court. But in society, his overall stature was further propelled by the stances he took, helping to reimagine the role of the athlete. Today, the 88-year-old legend is being remembered as a giant, not only transforming the face of the game, but for putting skin in the game when it came to the fight for racial equality. I think I had a lot to do with the respect that athletes are treated with back in life. His family posting the news that the most prolific winner in American sports history passed away peacefully today at age 88 with his wife Janine by his side. Russell was the cornerstone of the Celtics, the beating heart of a great dynasty that dominated the NBA. In his 13 seasons in Boston from 1956 to 1969, they won 11 championships. There isn't anyone here that has had as much fun as I've had in my life. If anyone could appreciate Russell's unique brand of genius, it was his great rival, Wilt Chamberlain. Boston Celtics were the best and greatest sports franchise of all times. Bill was the hub of that greatness. In 1975, he was revered as the single most devastating force in the history of the game. In a poll in 1980, he was voted the greatest player in NBA history. Basketball is what I did, it's not what I am. Whatever I do, I like to think that I bring an intelligent approach to it. I work hard at it, and uh, I have a feeling of integrity about my profession. William F. Russell.
More than four decades after he won a gold medal at the Olympics, he was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom by President Barack Obama as someone who stood up for the rights and dignity of all men. The former president issuing this statement today. As tall as Bill Russell stood, his legacy rises far higher, both as a player and as a person. Russell once said, if you can take something to levels that very few other people can reach, then what you're doing becomes art. Today, many are marveling at his art that didn't imitate life, but dared to reimagine it. Russell once said that he tried to live a good life and tried to contribute to society. That he did. Hi, everyone. The audacity of hope, to find hope in the midst of despair is a sacred thing, born of wings we cannot remember we once had, not knowing we will have them again. To wrench joy from the jaws of unthinking degradation is a triumph beyond compare. To find solace in the swirling abyss of sorrow is as courageous an act as we might perform. To seek beauty in a massive pile of scattered dreams is cradling a tender innocence that cannot die. To find sanctuary within a crevice of noise is a display of unconscious heroism. To create within the rubble of destruction is elaborating upon the tenets of bravery. To have faith when the sky is crashing around you is to demonstrate the strengths of being more than merely human. To rise again from the grief that befell you is to succeed in gathering wisdom, to gather wisdom from such agony is a sacred thing born of wings. A poem written by Wanda Leah Brayton the audacity of hope.
2K for Sylvia Plath. Inspired by her poem, Tulips, by Wanda Leah Brayton. Bouquet for Sylvia Plath. Ignore the loud stretching of flowers, Sylvia. Their breath aching toward an open sky. Their fragrance will evaporate soon enough to forget how vivid they were. Remember their tender roots instead, shuddering beneath the bitter soil that rages, cracking under first frost's leaden foot. They retreat into the dusky dark, their sinews yearning for warmth that wanes. Ah, but there are still seeds whispering in the yard, singing slowly those ancient secrets of spring. The blooms will wilt as they are wont to do. It is their duty to fade from trembling fingers' grasp. The petals will fall, perhaps to be savored and saved for potpourri, a scent that lingers long after the gift was given and gone. The mandates of survival require us to tend our gardens well, to remove unwanted weeds, and thrust our hands into this daunting dirt. Our stems are stronger than any wind that shivers through our lives. There will always be more flowers to come. It is only these moments alone that are few and fierce. Fledglings have fallen. Fledglings have fallen from their nest. A song in their ancient rubied throats lost to the descending darkness of an unmitigated demise. 
too soon. They perished before they felt the rise of primordial wind beneath their nascent wings. They instinctively trusted the strength of the bow they breathed upon, not understanding the power of an oncoming storm. Their parents trapped under turned leaves until it passed and they could pursue home again. When they arrived in the emptiness you left behind, the music was muted by savage fear. They dared not look for you, knowing your tiny hearts had become a long, strange melody they could not hear, an odd mapping of blood on stones below their eyes. language inspired by the novel Eat, Pray, Love by Elizabeth Gilbert poem by Wanda Leah Brayton titled Language Moments may lodge in the tightening of our throats separated from sound, only a murmur comes or a moan, a sudden silence speaking volumes never written or recorded in any language save that of a heart swelling, bursting its banks stunned into a precious pause that has no definition, no borders etched on any map. They can be seen in languishing gestures, coiled inside cloaked shadows caused by a trembling hand that reaches out stops midway between here and where it meant to go then bravely goes on gathering those same shadows into something that 
finally makes sense. They cannot be discerned under a sterile microscope, nor viewed through a stargazer's eyes. They must be experienced as an individual fragment of time that ceases to move seen only through the latticed whisper of a butterfly's stilled wing a portion of song given only to you only by the glistening smile of a unanimous universe there right there just before you blink a poem titled Norma Jean inspired by Marilyn Monroe's poetry written by Wanda Leah Brayton Norma Jean your sinuous vines were meant for more than bearing fruit for gathering wind in your leaves curled against the storms the soil shuddered beneath your feet swaying within the onslaught of unrepentant tides you were golden a kinetic glow surrounding your skin too many longed to touch and tear when the wind grew too fierce you burrowed beneath your slow blankets of flame surging trembling still We are sustained by your tragic warmth. Restlessly drink from your wild vintage. A poem titled Unfeathered. A short poem by Wanderlea Brayton. Flight is precious to those who are earthbound. We see this unending sky and covet wild wings we do not have attached to our mortal frames. Yet still, our souls soar 
beside the fragile bird who lingers aloft. Steadfast, we long to seek those radiant realms where moonlight swirls without falling. We drift beside quiet streams and imagine the sea. We are creatures of gravity soliciting the stars. A short poem titled Semblance Like the sky, tenebrous, I split spilling remnants of song, wet bouquets gathered into my arms, dense language reminiscent of loam, categories defy mirrors soliloquy labels obsequious without a discerning glance for what comes seeking wind finding flame instead a short point Songs of Neruda, inspired by an excerpt from the poem To Many Names by Pablo Neruda. Flowers remember with tender bitterness the wild and willful pleasure you found in a moment composed of only roots and stones, neglecting their fragile sense with your broad hand, your brimming eyes. They have forgiven you with songs of unfolding silk. Dusky petals drift fragrances slowly across somber soil embracing you now. Thank you for listening.
40 strides he takes. Yeah, speeds in excess of 40 kilometers an hour. Send Bolt, but here he goes, streaking away already. It's Bolt all the way. He's looking round at Gay. Watch the clock. It's gold for Bolt. And again, he's done it again. Yo, boy, that really means sitting in there. Let's listen to the thing you see over here. Nine. Sammy breaks up. Kick it in again. Fully, you know. Party, party, party. Then they know the court. And they actually honored her at that luncheon. She shared a few words. Here is what she had to say. This is a wonderful time to be out with all of you. Um, my name is Michelle Nichols. I had to read it off of here. <laughs> I'm an American actress, singer, and voice artist. You might know me from my role on Star Trek. Where I play the communications officer, lieutenant, later commander. Aboard the USS Enterprise in the Star Trek television series, as well as in, as the succeeding motion pictures, I like hanging around and keep working. You know, <laughs> my role was groundbreaking as one of the first African American female characters on American television not portrayed as a servant. I, I also had the first on-screen interracial kiss with the adorable William Shatner. Leonard Nimoy to fight for and achieve pay equity for myself as well as them. My prominent supporting role as a bridge officer was unprecedented. During the first year of the series, I was tempted to leave the show as I wanted to pursue a Broadway career. However, a conversation with Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. and an NAACP fundraiser changed my mind. Dr. King encouraged me to stay on the show, saying I could not give up because I was playing a vital role model for black children and young women across the country as well as for other children who would see blacks appearing as equals. After Star Trek, I volunteered my time in a special and very successful project with NASA. 
I recruited the first minority and female personnel for the space agency. I am proud of my pioneering role on Star Trek and know that it inspired other women who look like me to pursue careers in STEM and beyond. As part of my legacy and to continue to strive for diversity, my manager and I producing Noah's Room, a feature film about a black family that fosters a white child and forever changes their lives and the youth. We aim to have a diverse team of partners join us on this project and as many female members of our crew as possible, including as our director. I am an unapologetic culture shifter, and you should be too. I thank you very much. If you want to understand why this show matters, why Black Star Network matters, uh, we were the only media outlet that live streamed that particular event just a few years ago. Folks, uh, when it comes to uh, honoring our culture, honoring our heroes, uh, it's a little hard to do so if you're never in the room when they are there. And so we certainly appreciate the opportunity uh, to be able to, uh, to record that event, to cover that particular event like we do all other stories. That's why we were in New York last week, so all of that matters. And so this is why black-owned media matters as the Freedom's Journal... Tonight, the top leader of al-Qaeda killed in a U.S. counter-terror strike in Afghanistan. President Biden still in isolation for COVID rebound, addressing the nation tonight after Ayman al-Zawahri was taken out by a U.S. strike over the weekend. The successor to Osama bin Laden, a key planner of the 9-11 attacks, and one of the most wanted men in the world, what we're learning. Also tonight, the new flood threat in Kentucky as the death toll rises to at least 37. The desperate search, hundreds still unaccounted for. Our team with the National Guard airdropping supplies to people trapped in their homes. And the tragedy for one family, their four children drowning in the floods. The explosive wildfire in California turning deadly. The state's biggest inferno this year. Our team in the fire zone. The longest sentence yet handed down to a Capitol rioter. NFL quarterback Deshaun Watson suspended after two dozen women accused him of sexual misconduct. Why critics say it doesn't go far enough. And my conversation with the parents of Austin Tice this month, marking 10 years since the American journalist vanished in Syria. Their new plea to President Biden. This is NBC Nightly News with Lester Holt. Good evening, everyone. Breaking right now, a U.S. drone strike in Afghanistan is believed to have killed one of the world's most notorious terror masterminds, wanted in the deaths of hundreds, including Americans abroad. U.S. officials say al-Qaeda leader Ayman al-Zawahri, successor to Osama bin Laden, was successfully targeted in a weekend drone strike in Afghanistan. To this day, Zawahri has been on the FBI's most wanted list for his role in the 1998 bombings of U.S. embassies in Tanzania and Kenya. 
that killed 224 people, including 12 Americans. Also a key figure in the 9-11 attack. President Biden addressing the nation tonight about the operation. Kelly O'Donnell is at the White House now with late details. Lester, this strike was carried out at 9.48 p.m. Eastern Time this past Saturday night when senior officials say the U.S. government used an unmanned drone and Hellfire missiles to target the third floor balcony of a residential apartment building in downtown Kabul, Afghanistan to kill the head of al-Qaeda. President Biden, who has COVID, spoke from an outdoor balcony here to announce this successful operation claiming no civilian casualties. No matter where you hide, if you are a threat to our people, the United States will find you and take you out. Officials say they brought a model of the Kabul apartment building to the White House Situation Room to explain the operation. They had long been tracking the al-Qaeda leader and his family, who had moved to a Kabul safe house in the last year. Very few U.S. officials were aware of this mission, and the president ultimately gave the go-ahead one week ago. Lester? Kelly O'Donnell, thank you. His signature was on many of the worst terrorist attacks of our time. Tonight, our chief foreign correspondent, Richard Engel, with details. Ayman al-Zawahri was al-Qaeda's leader, succeeding Osama bin Laden, its public face in dozens of videos attacking the U.S. and its allies. He directed al-Qaeda's thinking, led its operations, was a key planner of the 9-11 attacks, and the 1998 U.S. Embassy bombings in East Africa. We know that it was at Zawahiri's urging that bin Laden really took an interest in attacking the United States. He meticulously planned mass murder, tried to arm al-Qaeda with weapons of mass destruction, and wrote its declaration of war against the U.S. His transformation into the world's most wanted terrorist had an unlikely start. He was born in 1951 into a wealthy Egyptian family of doctors and scholars. He became radicalized as a teenager after joining the fundamentalist Muslim Brotherhood before training to be a surgeon. At 31, he was one of hundreds arrested after the assassination of Egyptian President Anwar al-Sadat. He was tortured during three years in an Egyptian jail and left seeking revenge. By his mid-30s, he was a leader in Egypt's Islamic Jihad. He met the Saudi Osama bin Laden, who was fighting the Soviets in Afghanistan. They bonded. Zawahri became bin Laden's personal doctor. By 1998, the Islamic Jihad and al-Qaeda merged Zawahri as second in command. Bin Laden was a relative newcomer to the world of Jihad. Zawahri had well-established credentials. These two uniting up pr provided a team that could not be broken. America was their next target, the World Trade Center in their sights. After 9-11, Zawahri was seen in Afghanistan and then went into hiding a $25 million reward on his head. He kept al-Qaeda alive as ISIS became the West's main target. And we are calling... Pious, ruthless, the brains behind the world's worst terrorist attack, even in his final video calling on Muslims to attack America. Richard, what is the significance that this strike took place in Kabul? So there are indications that it took place not just in Kabul, but right in the center of Kabul, not far from the presidential palace. And the United States has been cooperating, and many people don't know this, with the Taliban in the fight against ISIS. 
but the counterterrorism cooperation against al-Qaeda has been very poor. So this seems like it was a target of opportunity for the Americans. The pinnacle of arrogance from the Taliban to host such a senior leader and the United States sending a message to the Taliban. They won't tolerate the group once again hosting al-Qaeda. Richard Angle with the breaking news tonight. Thank you. Also in Washington, a federal judge sentenced a convicted rioter who stormed the Capitol on January 6th to more than seven years in prison. Guy Reffitt of Texas was armed with a gun and zip ties. In court today, he called himself an idiot and said he no longer wants to associate with militia groups. Days into a historic flash flood catastrophe, rescuers in Kentucky are still uncovering layers of death and misery. The death toll now at least 37. Tonight, new dramatic images of the desperate search and rescue operation. And Jesse Kirsch has exclusive access with the National Guard as they bring relief from the air. In eastern Kentucky tonight, flood survivors getting food, water, even diapers by air. The National Guard delivering supplies, including donations to thousands of people still largely cut off from the world more than four days deadly floodwaters tore eastern Kentucky apart. Some areas so isolated, even this Black Hawk helicopter couldn't easily reach this community, where a main road was obliterated. You can see uh, there's a home down there tucked between the hills, and we're told that the roadway has been completely cut off. They need food and water, and this helicopter is going to bring it to them. The deadly once-in-a-thousand-year floods destroyed bridges, ripped down power lines, and snapped homes like toothpicks. Overhead, it's clear much of the water has receded, but the desperate searches continue. I don't think we still know uh, how big the situation is, but it could go on for a couple weeks, it could go on for a month. At least 37 killed, the death toll likely to climb. Among the lives lost, four children, all siblings. The governor said they'll be finding bodies for weeks. We aren't going anywhere. The National Guard already rescuing more than 1,000 people by air including an 83-year-old woman and her family trapped in their attic. I did not think we would survive. Christy Turner's two kids and husband barely escaped the floodwaters. She and her father-in-law were trapped on the porch when the waters ripped her home from its foundation. I was just thinking, how am I going to survive? How am I going to not drown? Um, how am I going to be able to hold myself up? Tonight, 12,000 people remain without power, 25,000 without water, and 44,000 under boil advisories. All as more rain continues soaking the region, making cleanup for survivors even harder. Some areas hit with another round of flash floods. Everything had already been destroyed. It couldn't destroy much anymore. And amid all of this destruction, now there's concern about excessive heat in the region, as so many people are still without power or clean water. Lester? Jesse Kirsten, I thank you. In California, a deadly wildfire, the state's biggest of the year, is ripping through a national forest area just miles from the Oregon border. Miguel Almaguer is on the front lines tonight. Oh my God, I can feel the flames from here! The apocalyptic landscapes now commonplace. Homes in ruins, trees becoming flamethrowers. Tonight, this is the scene as firefighters struggle to save anything they can. Raging near the Oregon border, the McKinney Fire, now the biggest wildfire in California this year, is more than 85 square miles of pure destruction, nearly the size of Baltimore. 
already claiming two lives, a pair trapped in their car when flames overtook them. My house is gone, all my furniture, all my clothes. The inferno is burning so hot, this massive 40,000-foot column of smoke is creating its own weather system. Lightning storms inside of it, sparking new fires and fanning the blaze in multiple directions. With 2,000 already forced out of their homes, authorities are urging residents to drop everything and evacuate. But even as flames creep closer to Wairika, doctors okay. Rick and Venus Swenson aren't going anywhere yet. We made the decision to stay for the hospital um, in case the hospital needed us. As the blaze explodes across mountain ranges, deputies called to rescue 60 desperate hikers on the scenic Pacific Crest Trail. Tonight, the Golden State red hot and once again going up in flames. Lester, there's still no firm number on how many homes have been destroyed. That number is easily in the dozens. Some 5,000 structures still lie in the path of this fire. Now, the weather is cooperating with firefighters today. It's been more of a wet and gloomy day here, but that will change. This fire still 0% contained. Lester. All right, Miguel, thank you. One of the NFL's top quarterbacks, Deshaun Watson of the Cleveland Browns, was suspended for six games today over allegations of sexual misconduct. But the order by a special judge may not be the last word on all this. Sam Brock has late details. At Browns practice today, business as usual for Deshaun Watson. But off the field, shockwaves and disbelief. After a disciplinary officer hired by the NFL and its Players Association suspended the quarterback six games without pay, concluding he engaged in sexual assault and conduct that puts at risk the integrity of the NFL. 24 women, all massage therapists, filed civil lawsuits for sexual assault. The disciplinary officer relied on the testimony of four of them. In her ruling, she stated while Watson's behavior does not fall into the category of violent conduct, the allegations of nonviolent sexual conduct against him are more egregious than any before reviewed by the NFL. Online, outrage. I just don't think Deshaun Watson should play another game in the NFL. Another person writing, he got suspended one quarter for every woman he sexually assaulted. That's insane. Both the league and Players Association have three days to appeal. One of the things the NFL likely will do is see what the reaction has been. What do the columns say in the various newspapers? What are they saying on the sports talk shows? The final decision comes down to the commissioner. Watson has denied all wrongdoing. No criminal charges were filed, and every civil case except one was settled. Uh, he wants to be the best version of himself. I believe that wholeheartedly. Watson and the Players Union have previously stated they don't plan to appeal the decision, but like the NFL, to do the same. Sam Brock, NBC News, Miami. In 60 seconds, abortion on the ballot in Kansas. Voters about to decide whether it should be restricted in the state in the first vote of its kind after the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. Why so many Americans are watching it closely. Just hours from now, voters in Kansas will go to the polls with abortion on the ballot. It's a critical test for abortion access at the state level after the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. Here's Dasha Burns. This Planned Parenthood is one of just five abortion clinics in Kansas, one of the few left in the entire region. We're trying to really explain to Kansans, we have seen what the crisis looks like. We know what patients' faces look like when they realize it's going to be days on the road. And we're hoping that Kansans take steps to avoid that crisis here. 
On Tuesday, Kansas will be the first state to vote on abortion since the recent Supreme Court decision. Right now, the state constitution protects abortion rights here. But on the ballot is the value them both amendment, which if passed, would open the door to restrictions or a ban. For months, volunteers have been knocking on doors. Kansans have been rallying throughout the state, including here at the Capitol. Activists even holding concerts to get voters to the polls. Recent polling shows 47% support the amendment and 43% oppose. The rest undecided. Now, a final push from both sides. So this is your first time really canvassing, doing the yes. whole... Well, I've loved the pro-life movement my whole life. What's at stake here? The right to choose. Abortion rights activists believe if the amendment passes, an abortion ban would be inevitable. While many of those in favor of the change deny that a ban is their goal. We are putting this decision in the hands of the people. If passed, the conservative state legislature, including Representative Susan Humphreys, would determine the future of abortion in Kansas. And we'll see what happens. I honestly don't know. I haven't talked to people about it. I don't really know what's next. Why I haven't you talked to people about it? It's a huge issue. Uh -huh. why, why haven't you had that conversation? Because we're really focused on August 2nd. A day and a decision putting physicians like Dr. Elizabeth Daly on edge. I cannot imagine not being able to provide people health care. For me, that would, that would be really, really hard to go through. I get emotional just thinking about it. Yeah. I don't want it to stop on my watch. The nation now watching the state that's become a bellwether. Dasha Burns, NBC News, Kansas City, Kansas. And up next for us tonight, the American journalist missing in Syria for a decade. My exclusive interview with his parents, their message to President Biden. This month marks 10 years since American freelance journalist Austin Tice disappeared in Syria while covering the Civil War there. Recently, I met again with his parents in Texas as that heartbreaking anniversary approaches. The family with an urgent new plea to the president. He's the longest held American. It's been a devastating decade for Deborah and Mark Tice. Ten long years without any word from their son, Austin, who went missing in Syria. Mark and Deborah, I've been speaking to you for years, and you have never, ever wavered on your belief that Austin's coming home. What sustains you? Mostly my faith. The freelance journalist and Marine veteran was detained at a checkpoint near Damascus in August 2012. Oh, Jesus. The last time he was seen came a month later when this video was posted online. We have faith that us is going to come home, but that is going to take some action. The Tices have pushed for action with three U.S. administrations. I have anger with the United States government and frustration. In May, they met with President Biden and his team. The president gave a very specific directive. The president said, meet with the Syrians, listen to them, find out what they want, and work with them. Do you think there's any doubt within the administration that Austin is alive? No. No, no. There is no doubt. They believe he's alive. Yes. Yeah, but three months later, no progress. And tonight, the Tices have a message for President Biden. I would like to tell him, Mr. President, you need to know that no action has been taken on your clear directive. The very obvious step that needs to be taken is for somebody in the United States government to reach out directly 
to officials in the Syrian government. And request a meeting. The Tysis want the U.S. to engage with Syria like they are with the Russians, negotiating to bring home Americans Brittany Griner and Paul Whelan, a strategy that worked to free another Marine veteran, Trevor Reed. Does the engagement with Russia over Americans give you hope that the administration may be able to focus on others, including your son, in, in a better way? Uh, well, I mean, for me, it tells me that it's absolutely possible for our government to interact with the Syrian government. Tonight, the Tice family remains hopeful, even as they celebrate another birthday without their son. Austin will turn 40 next week. We have a kind of peace that he's alive and waiting for us. We reached out to the White House who responded saying they are engaged extensively with Syrian officials to try and build, bring Austin home, but that Syria has never acknowledged holding him. Up next tonight, honoring NBA Hall of Famer Bill Russell and his powerful legacy in civil rights. Finally, NBA legend Bill Russell, who died this weekend at age 88, is being remembered as well tonight as a champion of civil rights. Here's Ann Thompson. Bill Russell, the backbone of the world champion Boston Celtics. Bill Russell never backed down, on the court or off it. While winning an unmatched 11 NBA titles in 13 seasons with the Boston Celtics, he used his fame and stature to fight for civil rights. I did what I thought I could do to help change it. It is very easy to hide your head in the sand. You know, when you, when you make money and things are going well for you, you don't want to risk it. But he was willing to put everything on the line to use his position uh, to, to move our society forward. He led a walkout of black Celtics players when they were refused service at a Kentucky restaurant in 1961. Joined Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in the March on Washington supported Muhammad Ali, then called Cassius Clay. Nine top Negro athletes meet with Cassius Clay to discuss his anti-draft stand. His activism so impressing Jackie Robinson, Russell was asked to be a pallbearer at the baseball legend's funeral. Boston in the 50s and 60s, Russell described as a flea market of racism. The star was taunted and heckled, his home vandalized. Four decades later, Bill Russell, the man, is someone who stood up for the rights and dignity of all men. President Obama giving Russell the Presidential Medal of Freedom and a thank you. He just said that uh, it was guys like me that made it possible for him to be president. Today in Boston, there is a statue of Russell, not at the Boston Garden, but in City Hall Plaza, a champion for all. Ann Thompson, NBC News. And that's nightly news for this Monday. Thank you for watching, everyone. I'm Lester Holt. Please take care of yourself and each other. Good night.
Whoa. Message. Ridiculous. This profanity-laced rant sent veteran Cincinnati police officer Rose Valentino to desk duty. On April 5th, she was pulling into the District 3 station to fill out a report when she noticed vehicles lined on the street to pick up students from school. She activated her lights and quickly became angry when they didn't move. Is she going to f***ing just sit there? Body and dash camera video just released by CPD shows what happened next. Dumb. Oh, I f***ing hate him so much. God, I hate this f***ing world. After rolling up her cruiser's window, she uses the N-word. Valentino told investigators a black student gave her the finger, which led to her outburst. She was one of four officers profiled by WNWT and featured in a nationally televised reality show in 2011, Police Women of Cincinnati. Never a dull moment. You, you go into every situation as if it's the first time, you know, you've dealt with that sort of thing. In Valentino's most recent performance review, dated after the rant, she was complimented as a hard worker who uses good judgment. A supervisor recommended she study for the promotion exam. In January 2019, this official reprimand says Valentino showed body cam footage from a homicide at the Glenway Pony Keg to family members while having dinner at the casino. In March 2020, she was arrested off-duty. Her sister and brother-in-law accused her of pushing and hitting them with a closed fist and using an umbrella to repeatedly strike a vehicle. She pled guilty to disorderly conduct, a misdemeanor, and was ordered to attend an anger management assessment. Two years later, she admitted she did not have control of her emotions here. Valentino told Internal Investigations, This is a hard job, and I was getting to a point where I was really being affected by it. I have been on for 14 years. Thanks for watching our... Uh, gang, uh, and now if you'll all be uh, quiet, we'll start the show. I, uh, <laughs> I, I drew this cartoon all by, by myself, but uh, shucks, it wasn't hard because I'm an artist. <laughs> uh, I, I hope you like it. I'll have a blue Christmas without you. Oh, if you feel so, it'll be, it'll be blue. It'll be just thinking about you. It'll be decorations of red on a green Christmas tree. It won't be the same, dear, if you're not here with me, 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 me. And when those be blue, it's the snowflakes, it's start falling. It'll be that so when those be blue, in the memories, it's start calling. You'll be doing all right with your Christmas of white, it'll be but out. Ever be a blue, ever be a blue, blue, blue Christmas. <laughs> oh, baby, I'll, I'll miss you. <laughs> You'll 
in dozens of videos attacking the U.S. and its allies. He directed al-Qaeda's thinking, led its operations, was a key planner of the 9-11 attacks and the 1998 U.S. embassy bombings in East Africa. We know that it was at Zawahiri's urging that bin Laden really took an interest in attacking the United States. He meticulously planned mass murder, tried to arm al-Qaeda with weapons of mass destruction, and wrote its declaration of war against the U.S. His transformation into the world's most wanted terrorist had an unlikely start. He was born in 1951 into a wealthy Egyptian family of doctors and scholars. He became radicalized as a teenager after joining the fundamentalist Muslim Brotherhood before training to be a surgeon. At 31, he was one of hundreds arrested after the assassination of Egyptian President Anwar al-Sadat. He was tortured during three years in an Egyptian jail and left seeking revenge. By his mid-30s, he was a leader in Egypt's Islamic Jihad. He met the Saudi Osama bin Laden, who was fighting the Soviets in Afghanistan. They bonded. Zawahiri became bin Laden's personal doctor. By 1998, the Islamic Jihad and Al-Qaeda merged Zawahiri as second in command. Bin Laden was a relative newcomer to the world of Jihad. Zawahiri had well-established credentials. These two uniting up pro provided a team that could not be broken. America was their next target, the World Trade Center in their sights. After 9-11, Zawahiri was seen in Afghanistan and then went into hiding, a $25 million reward on his head. He kept Al-Qaeda alive as ISIS became the West's main target. And we are calling... Pious, ruthless, the brains behind the world's worst terrorist attack, even in his final video, he was calling on Muslims to attack America. Richard, what is the significance that this strike took place in Kabul? So there are indications that it took place not just in Kabul, but right in the center of Kabul, not far from the presidential palace. And the United States has been cooperating, and many people don't know this, with the Taliban in the fight against ISIS. But the counterterrorism cooperation against al-Qaeda has been very poor. So this seems like it was a target of opportunity for the Americans. The pinnacle of arrogance from the Taliban to host such a senior leader and the United States sending a message to the Taliban. They won't tolerate the group once again hosting al-Qaeda. Richard Angle with the breaking news tonight. Thank you. Also in Washington, a federal judge sentenced a convicted rioter who stormed the Capitol on January 6th to more than seven years in prison. Guy Reffitt of Texas was armed with a gun and zip ties. In court today, he called himself an idiot and said he no longer wants to associate with militia groups. Days into a historic flash flood catastrophe, rescuers in Kentucky are still uncovering layers of death and misery. The death toll now at least 37. Tonight, new dramatic images of the desperate search and rescue operation. And Jesse Kirsch has exclusive access with the National Guard as they bring relief from the air. In eastern Kentucky tonight, flood survivors getting food, water, even diapers by air. The National Guard delivering supplies, including donations to thousands of people still largely cut off from the world more than four days deadly floodwaters tore eastern Kentucky apart. Some areas so isolated, even this Black Hawk helicopter couldn't easily reach this community where a main road was obliterated. You can 
see how there's a home down there tucked between the hills, and we're told that the roadway has been completely cut off. They need food and water, and this helicopter is going to bring it to them. The death of once-in-a-thousand-year floods destroyed bridges, ripped down power lines, and snapped homes like toothpicks. Overhead, it's clear much of the water has receded, but the desperate searches continue. I don't think we still know uh, how big the situation is, but it could go on for a couple weeks, it could go on for a month. At least 37 killed, the death toll likely to climb. Among the lives lost, four children, all siblings. The governor said they'll be finding bodies for weeks. We aren't going anywhere. The National Guard already rescuing more than a thousand people by air, including an 83-year-old woman and her family trapped in their attic. I did not think we would survive. Christy Turner's two kids and husband barely escaped the floodwaters. She and her father-in-law were trapped on the porch when the waters ripped her home from its foundation. I was just thinking, how am I going to survive? How am I going to not drown? Um, how am I going to be able to hold myself up? Tonight, 12,000 people remain without power, 25,000 without water, and 44,000 under boil advisories. All as more rain continues soaking the region, making cleanup for survivors even harder. Some areas hit with another round of flash floods. Everything had already been destroyed. It couldn't destroy much anymore. And amid all of this destruction, now there's concern about excessive heat in the region, as so many people are still without power or clean water. Lester? Jesse Kirsten, I thank you. In California, a deadly wildfire, the state's biggest of the year, is ripping through a national forest area just miles from the Oregon border. Miguel Almaguer is on the front lines tonight. Oh my God, I can feel the flames from here! The apocalyptic landscapes now commonplace. Homes in ruins, trees becoming flamethrowers. Tonight, this is the scene as firefighters struggle to save anything they can. Raging near the Oregon border, the McKinney Fire, now the biggest wildfire in California this year, is more than 85 square miles of pure destruction, nearly the size of Baltimore, already claiming two lives, a pair trapped in their car when flames overtook them. My house is gone, all my furniture, all my clothes. The inferno is burning so hot, this massive 40,000-foot column of smoke is creating its own weather system. Lightning storms inside of it, sparking new fires and fanning the blaze in multiple directions. With 2,000 already forced out of their homes, authorities are urging residents to drop everything and evacuate. But even as flames creep closer to Wairika, doctors okay. Rick and Venus Swenson aren't going anywhere yet. We made the decision to stay for the hospital. Um, in case the hospital needed us. As the blaze explodes across mountain ranges, deputies called to rescue 60 desperate hikers on the scenic Pacific Crest Trail. Tonight, the Golden State red hot and once again going up in flames. Lester, there's still no firm number on how many homes have been destroyed. That number is easily in the dozens. Some 5,000 structures still lie in the path of this fire. Now, the weather is cooperating with firefighters today. It's been more of a wet and gloomy day here, but that will change. This fire still 0% contained. Lester? All right, Miguel, thank you. 
One of the NFL's top quarterbacks, Deshaun Watson of the Cleveland Browns, was suspended for six games today over allegations of sexual misconduct. But the order by a special judge may not be the last word on all this. Sam Brock has late details. At Brown's practice today, business as usual for Deshaun Watson. But off the field, shockwaves and disbelief after a disciplinary officer hired by the NFL and its Players Association suspended the quarterback six games without pay, concluding he engaged in sexual assault and conduct that puts at risk the integrity of the NFL. 24 women, all massage therapists, filed civil lawsuits for sexual assault. The disciplinary officer relied on the testimony of four of them. In her ruling, she stated while Watson's behavior does not fall into the category of violent conduct, the allegations of nonviolent sexual conduct against him are more egregious than any before reviewed by the NFL. Online, outrage. I just don't think Deshaun Watson should play another game in the NFL. Another person writing, he got suspended one quarter for every woman he sexually assaulted. That's insane. Both the league and players association have three days to appeal. One of the things the NFL likely will do is see what the reaction has been. What do the columns say in the various newspapers? What are they saying on the sports talk shows? The final decision comes down to the commissioner. Watson has denied all wrongdoing. No criminal charges were filed, and every civil case except one was settled. Uh, he wants to be the best version of himself. I believe that wholeheartedly. Watson and the Players Union have previously stated they don't plan to appeal the decision, but like the NFL, to do the same. Sam Brock, NBC News, Miami. In 60 seconds, abortion on the ballot in Kansas. Voters about to decide whether it should be restricted in the state in the first vote of its kind after the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. Why so many Americans are watching it closely. Just hours from now, voters in Kansas will go to the polls with abortion on the ballot. It's a critical test for abortion access at the state level after the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. Here's Dasha Burns. This Planned Parenthood is one of just five abortion clinics in Kansas, one of the few left in the entire region. We're trying to really explain to Kansans, we have seen what the crisis looks like. We know what patients' faces look like when they realize it's going to be days on the road. And we're hoping that Kansans take steps to avoid that crisis here. On Tuesday, Kansas will be the first state to vote on abortion since the recent Supreme Court decision. Right now, the state constitution protects abortion rights here. But on the ballot is the value them both amendment, which if passed, would open the door to restrictions or a ban. For months, volunteers have been knocking on doors. Kansans have been rallying throughout the state, including here at the Capitol. Activists even holding concerts to get voters to the polls. Recent polling shows 47% support the amendment and 43% oppose. The rest undecided. Now, a final push from both sides. So this is your first time really canvassing, doing the yes. whole... Well, I've loved the pro-life movement my whole life. What's at stake here? The right to choose. Abortion rights activists believe if the amendment passes, an abortion ban would be inevitable. While many of those in favor of the change deny that a ban is their goal. We are putting this decision in the hands of the people. If passed, the conservative state legislature, including Representative Susan Humphreys, would determine the future of abortion in Kansas. And we'll see what happens. I honestly don't know. I haven't talked to people about it. I don't really know what's next. Why I haven't you think... talked to people about it? It's a huge issue. Uh -huh. why, why haven't you had that conversation? 
because we're really focused on August 2nd. A day and a decision putting physicians like Dr. Elizabeth Daly on edge. I cannot imagine not being able to provide people health care. For me, that would, that would be really, really hard to go through. I get emotional just thinking about it. Yeah. I don't want it to stop on my watch. The nation now watching the state that's become a bellwether. Dasha Burns, NBC News, Kansas City, Kansas. And up next for us tonight, the American journalist missing in Syria for a decade. My exclusive interview with his parents, their message to President Biden. This month marks 10 years since American freelance journalist Austin Tice disappeared in Syria while covering the civil war there. Recently, I met again with his parents in Texas as that heartbreaking anniversary approaches. The family with an urgent new plea to the president. He's the longest held American. It's been a devastating decade for Deborah and Mark Tice. Ten long years without any word from their son, Austin, who went missing in Syria. Mark and Deborah, I've been speaking to you for years, and you have never, ever wavered on your belief that Austin's coming home. What sustains you? Mostly my faith. The freelance journalist and Marine veteran was detained at a checkpoint near Damascus in August 2012. Oh, Jesus. The last time he was seen came a month later when this video was posted online. We have faith that us is going to come home, but that it's going to take some action. The Tices have pushed for action with three U.S. administrations. I have anger with the United States government and frustration. In May, they met with President Biden and his team. The president gave a very specific directive. The president said, meet with the Syrians, listen to them, find out what they want, and work with them. Do you think there's any doubt within the administration that Austin is alive? No. No, no. There is no doubt. They believe he's alive. Yes. They do. But three months later, no progress. And tonight, the Tices have a message for President Biden. I would like to tell him, Mr. President, you need to know that no action has been taken on your clear directive. The very obvious step that needs to be taken is for somebody in the United States government to reach out directly to officials in the Syrian government. And request the meeting. The Tices want the U.S. to engage with Syria like they are with the Russians, negotiating to bring home Americans Brittany Griner and Paul Whelan, a strategy that worked to free another Marine veteran, Trevor Reed. Does the engagement with Russia over Americans give you hope that the administration may be able to focus on others, including your son, in, in a better way? Uh, well, I mean, for me, it tells me that it's absolutely possible for our government to interact with the Syrian government. Tonight, the Tice family remains hopeful, even as they celebrate another birthday without their son. Austin will turn 40 next week. We have a kind of peace that he's alive and waiting for us. We reached out to the White House, who responded, saying they are engaged extensively with Syrian officials to try and build, bring Austin home, but that Syria has never acknowledged holding him. Up next tonight, honoring NBA Hall of Famer Bill Russell and his powerful legacy in civil rights. Finally, NBA legend Bill Russell, who died this weekend at age 88, is being remembered as well tonight as a champion of civil rights. Here's Ann Thompson. 
Bill Russell, the backbone of the world champion Boston Celtics. Bill Russell never backed down on the court or off it. While winning an unmatched 11 NBA titles in 13 seasons with the Boston Celtics, he used his fame and stature to fight for civil rights. I did what I thought I could do to help change it. It is very easy to hide your head in the sand. You know, when you, when you make money and things are going well for you, you don't want to risk it. But he was willing to put everything on the line to use his position uh, to, to move our society forward. He led a walkout of black Celtics players when they were refused service at a Kentucky restaurant in 1961. Joined Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in the March on Washington. Supported Muhammad Ali, then called Cassius Clay. Nine top Negro athletes meet with Cassius Clay to discuss his anti-draft stand. His activism so impressing Jackie Robinson, Russell was asked to be a pallbearer at the baseball legend's funeral. Boston in the 50s and 60s, Russell described as a flea market of racism. The star was taunted and heckled, his home vandalized. Four decades later... Bill Russell, the man, is someone who stood up for the rights and dignity of all men. President Obama giving Russell the Presidential Medal of Freedom and a thank you. He just said that uh, it was guys like me that made it possible for him to be president. Today in Boston, there is a statue of Russell, not at the Boston Garden, but in City Hall Plaza, a champion for all. Ann Thompson, NBC News. And that's nightly news for this Monday. Thank you for watching, everyone. I'm Lester Holt. Please take care of yourself and each other. Good night.
Hi everyone, my name is Ariana Stansberry. I am a Jamaican black female alto saxophonist originally from Jamaica and currently residing in Connecticut, USA. I'm here performing for you today as part of the Berkeley Anywhere concert series. This series features different artists every single Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, so be sure to be tuned in for the next episode. The first song you heard me play was Versace on the Floor by Bruno Mars. The second song you'll hear me sing and play is called Because of Who You Are. It is a gospel song originally performed by Vicky Yohi. Enjoy.
Thank you again so much for watching. At this time, I would like to encourage you.
Thank <laughs> you.